Here's a few exciting scenes from tonight's episode of The Tom Gully Show. Well, this is a big moment because this is the very first in-studio guest here at the palatial Tom Gully Show Studios, uh, lavish, opulent, and we're lucky enough to have Mr. Jeff Hobson, raconteur, musician, songwriter, philosopher, um, steeplejack. I heard lazy and space trucking and smoke on the water for the first time that night, and I was like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> he said, uh, do you remember that time I took you to see Johnny Cash? And, and I said, uh, what, August 15th, 1972, Legion Field, Gate City, Virginia, that time? <laughs> <laughs> and I heard moaning, moaning in the night. She's caught up in a nightmare, clutching her pillow tight. I slipped off my shoes and I went upstairs to kiss her tossing head. And when I opened the door, they were coiled up like two snakes upon our bed. I got a friend that's uh, whose guitar player just left and went to join another band, and uh, and he's looking to audition a guitar player. And uh, turns out it was. And as of yet, undiscovered, unheard of, Aaron Tippin. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. man. Yeah. I'll give Mark LaFon credit for this. He knows more lines from that, uh, <laughs> from that script than any of us. He, he, can't, he, he doesn't just know the Carl parts. He knows everybody else's parts, too. <laughs> he knows the little kid's part. He knows Dwight Yoakam's part. Uh -huh. you know, it's, it's amazing. He was very open. He said, I don't want anything to be bullshit. Can I say that on your show? Usually, on my oh, show, you can. You bet your ass you can. He said, I don't want anything to be bullshit. I want this to be open and real. This support, I've never seen. I've never been a part of anything that is so, uh, that the infrastructure of support is so intense and strong. I mean, we're all each other's biggest fans, mm -hmm. basically. So I'm hoping you'll excuse me while I show myself the exit. I've had all your performance I can stand. I can take the bitter with the sweet And you love to spoil the ending So why don't you search and find yourself a novel sort of man Now, you know how much I love the walk and talk and stalk and get the hell out of here. But, yeah, but... Um, and you and I talked about that a little bit more. It's a blues song and you have your feelings about it. I have my feelings about it, which I love it. And you're just very humble about it. There's a song of yours I called it's the worst song I've written. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just humble about it. I think it's the worst song I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on both ends of the scale there. Um, it's a fun tune. If the song has the word blues in it, I probably will like it. Respect breeds respect mm -hmm. love breeds love mm -hmm. um it's a it's a it's a co-op thing you know yeah. I, I love my friends I, I respect them i support them and they in kind return that 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 same thing to me mm -hmm. and that's how we built these relationships you know right. We, right. we we love each other we support each other you know we're there for each other due to some violent content parental discretion is advised <laughs> It's time, America. Mr. and Mrs. North of South American, all the ships at sea, let's go to press. So sit back, buckle in. 
Place your tray table in its upright locked position and get ready for big time radio, friends. It's time for... Good evening, it is Saturday, October 25th, 2014, episode 222. I'm Tom Gully, that's 222 by the way. I'm Tom Gully and tonight on the Tom Gully Show. You know, two years ago, we interviewed an amazing musician named Jeff Hopson. And it turns out that Jeff has just released, just recently, a brand new CD called Heretic. And, or is it Heretic? Very 1970s. Uh, remember the movies, the horror movies in the 70s where they kill the heretic? Yeah, so it's, it's either heretic, I think it's heretic. At any rate, we're going to replay that two-year-old interview we did about Jeff and his musical background, where he's going in the future. You'll even hear him talk about the process he had already started at that point to put this CD out. And we'll play two bonus out on the back porch at my friend Kurt and Andy's house, uh, cuts that will appear in the studio version of the CD. You can get it at CD Baby. Links are on the TomGullyShow.com. Just go to Jeff's podcast and you can buy it. Throw his name in the search window. You'll be all right. There are a lot of great performers in the Texas music scene, but Jeff Hopson is something unique something real, and something you will never forget. The musical journey of Jeff Hopson and a few live cuts from his new studio CD, Heretic, tonight on The Tom Gully Show. The following is a public service announcement from The Tom Gully Show. Due to recent events, we are compelled to pass along this warning for listeners of The Tom Gully Show. Tragically, over the past few weeks, a pattern of alarming occurrences has befallen listeners who have failed to support the program via social media. For example, a Margaret D. from Indianapolis was struck down with chronic, incurable, sudden flatulence after ignoring an opportunity to like the Tom Gully Show Facebook page. Similarly, a Chuck L. of Richardson, Texas, was horrified to find that a sphincter opening had replaced his mouth after plagiarizing a Twitter posting from the show. A Marjorie H. of Tuscaloosa, Alabama, passed on a chance to join the TomGullyShow.com via Google+, and her dog, Mimsy, subsequently exploded. And both Zachary J. and Ted R. of Doylestown, Pennsylvania, sent nasty emails to Tom at the TomGullyShow.com and subsequently saw their genitalia blacken, shrivel, and fall off in the shower. Don't let this happen to you. 
Like The Tom Gully Show on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter at Atomic Palooka, and join and subscribe with links at thetomgullyshow.com. Email the program via tom at thetomgullyshow.com, and when you do, good things will happen. Thank you. The preceding has been a public service announcement from The Tom Gully Show. Asked me to write this song. I don't know. It's one of them songs I got to make up a good backstory for. Let's make one up. It's called Moaning. I was out of town in November 92, as I recall. Made a run through the northwest and then was way down in the fall. I worked real hard to get done early. Thanksgiving's around the bend. I had to get home to my woman and bring this homesick to an end. I got it all done and I headed home days ahead of time I killed the lights as I pulled in wore out but I was feeling fine a dim light from our bedroom window cast an amber glow on me she likes to read them romance novels till she falls fast asleep and I heard moaning, moaning in the night. She's caught up in a nightmare, clutching her pillow tight. I slipped off my shoes and I went upstairs to kiss her tossing head. And when I opened the door, they were coiled up. Like two snakes upon our bed Well, this is a big moment because this is the very first in-studio guest here at the palatial Tom Gully Show Studios, uh, lavish, opulent, and we're lucky enough to have Mr. Jeff Hobson, raconteur, musician, songwriter, philosopher, um, steeplejack, um, a man of many talents, uh, Jeff. Welcome. Thank you for coming on out. Man, thank you so much for having me. What a what a pleasure it is to be your uh, first in studio guest. Well, you know, don't let the uh, Egyptian paintings and the uh, dancing girls with the palm fronds that are you know that was the thing. The Egyptian paintings I got by. It's the the, the dancing girls was 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 a little distractive, but uh, I think I can deal with it. All right. Well, now let's let's get a little bit of your background. I mean, you've done a lot of stuff. You are originally from Tennessee. Yeah, yeah. I was born in Johnson City, Tennessee, which is way up in the upper eastern corner of the state, Washington County, which is uh, makes me a. Uh, a kinsman with Davy Crockett. Yeah, and he, and doesn't he have a quote that you attribute to him about Texas? Oh, absolutely. It's on T-shirts, bumper stickers, 
And it should be in songs if it's not already. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. He told the Tennessee legislature when he was trying to rally up help to come down to uh, uh, serve the cause in Texas. And they declined and said, no, we that doesn't have anything to do with us. And he said, well, you may all go to hell. I will go to Texas. <laughs> <laughs> and here you are. Now, what musically kind of started to affect you when you were younger and growing up and all that? There was a crisis moment. It wasn't a gradual thing. There was one singular moment in history that that occurred. <clears throat> My mother and father moved to uh, Orlando, Florida back in, uh, I want to say, 58, 59, something like that. I was born in 57. Yes, I've just revealed to the world that I'm, <laughs> I'm an old guy. <laughs> But uh, just right, not long after I was born, they moved to Orlando, Florida, and uh, Dad had taken a job down there at some plant, the Martin plant or something like that. I don't even know if it's still around. But uh, they announced one day, and my sister, who lives here with me now, mm-hmm. uh, she and I were the only two of the four of us in the world at the time, but they took us to the drive-in theater one night in Orlando, to see a movie that was called Your Cheatin' Heart. It's an old black and white film, starred uh, George Hamilton, a very, very young, uh-huh. un- untanned George <laughs> Hamilton as Hank. Uh, Susan Oliver played Audrey, Red Buttons played his manager, and there were a few other people that were in it, you know. And uh, that was the moment in which the clouds op- rolled back, the angels sang. And uh, a figurative hand from heaven reached down and said, this is what you will do. Uh-huh. So, yeah, that's where it began. I, I saw that movie and I sat there in awe, about six years old, seven years old maybe. And uh, I, I knew from that moment, that's what I'm going to do. Cool. And Hank Williams has been my biggest hero ever since. Awesome. Awesome. Now, so you grew up listening to traditional country probably. Yes, I knew of nothing else except possibly gospel which is country with religious lyrics uh-huh uh-huh and so what what did you do after that i mean you went to high school and all that stuff now, you told me at one uh, point that you were a minister of some kind or a uh, studying to be I, I had actually taken a job as a youth minister at my uh home church i, I wound up i was raised uh <clears throat> my parents weren't you know these real staunch church going uh Christians, but they were believers, you know, they were of that persuasion as was most people in the, uh, as is most people in the South, Southeastern United States, the rural areas particularly. And, uh, and I was raised, uh, pretty much a Baptist. That's what mom and dad's affiliation were. Dad had two brothers that were Baptist ministers. And, um, and at some point down the road, I was about 20, 21 years old. Um, I came to this reaffirmation of my faith, which I'd had little regard for. I mean, I was busy going to high school, dating girls, and mm-hmm. trying to learn how to figure out this guitar and and, uh, and all that. But um, about 20 or 21 came that moment, you know, where uh, I began to consider seriously all those things. And, uh, and uh, the people who sort of drew me into their circle were Pentecostal. So, so I went to a Pentecostal seminary in Greenville, South Carolina for two years, completed two years of that, and uh, in my first my first time ever to walk up on a platform with a microphone in front of me and a guitar around my neck was in church. It was in that Pentecostal church. Scared the hell out of me. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty cool. Frightening. It was a frightening moment. 
Now, the guitar, can you remember your first guitar and when you got it? Uh, man, my first guitar was, uh, it was uh, kind of like a small, um, it wasn't like a little baby toy guitar. It was something intended to be played, you know, but it was the small youth size uh -huh. scale down thing, you know. And it had a little uh, a little amplifier, a little battery-powered amplifier with it. I got it for Christmas. We were living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. And uh, and that was the guitar on which I, you know, I, I'm left-handed. Uh -huh. It was a right-handed guitar, you know. So, <laughs> so I just held it left-handed and thought that's the way you do it. And uh, that was the guitar at which I, uh, upon which I figured out just by ear how to tune to an open chord. Okay. Um, because I know when you strum it just in a standard tune, it didn't sound like anything, you know. But So I started tuning the strings until they seemed to me to make a chord that was harmonious. And uh -huh. I learned later in my life that that was, uh, you know, called open tuning. Yeah. And, and Dwayne Allman did it, you know. And, <laughs> Things like that. Do you do you string it upside down or do you leave it in the? How, I, how do you string your guitar? I learned upside down. Okay. But in 1980, I got my first proper left-handed guitar. It was a Gibson Les Paul. Okay. Actually. That's a good and, one to get. It was a proper left-handed guitar with the big E string on the top and the little E string on the bottom, and I began to play uh, properly at that. Well, properly. That's a that's arguable. <laughs> oh no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, now you have like a an encyclopedic musical knowledge. You, you don't just know about one kind of music. What were you listening to, like in high school and when you were first in a band and and started writing songs? Uh, well, those are those are probably three different eras of my life. You just named, <laughs> okay. you know, separate from each other. Uh, when I when I was in high school, uh, all the way up through so my sophomore year, I, it was. Strictly country. I listened to nothing but country music. It was it was on at my house all the time. If we're in the car with mom and dad, it's on the radio. Uh, Sunday morning, it's 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 either on the radio or the gospel music programs were on TV while mom made breakfast. So, but then uh, a curious thing happened the summer between my sophomore and uh, and uh, junior year. Some friends and I and I were camping. Camping out, we called it camping out. Basically, we we roamed the streets of our of our neighborhood and our town, you know, our little hometown. Uh -huh. Climbed on the roofs of the gas stations and did things like that. <laughs> we called it camping out. As far as our moms and dads were concerned, <laughs> we were camping out. But uh, uh, and one of my friends had a little portable uh, cassette player, and uh, he said, "Man, I got this stuff. I want you to listen to." And I said, "What is it?" He said, "Just listen." And he stuck on a, a cassette tape, and it was Three Dog Night, and uh, it was like a best of or something. You know? uh -huh. And I was like, yeah, I've heard those songs. That's pretty cool. And, and then later on, he said, here, listen to this. And he stuck in something that was another one of those crisis moments for me. It was Deep Purple's Machine Head album. <laughs> okay. And uh, I heard Lazy and Space Trucking and Smoke on the Water for the first time that night. And I was like, oh, my God, this is the best thing ever. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one of the first time I heard "Smoke on the Water," man. It was it was unfair. And you are gonna learn to play that if your hair lips pope. You are gonna learn to play that, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I, I just learned how to go <laughs> at the bus stop, but Be Beavis and Butthead style. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. Now, uh, so you start playing music. Uh, when did you start writing songs? I I had written <coughs> songs when I was well, songs. I don't know. 
songs in the very, very minimalist plural sense, like two. <laughs> uh, when I was 13 or 14, I was trying to write songs like Johnny Cash. The funny thing about that is uh, Cash was, was a huge, enormous hero of mine uh, during the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, in fact, my first concert ever was Johnny Cash in 1972. And, uh, and uh, just a month before my father died, I was, I was at his house uh, visiting and, uh, in, in Greenville, Tennessee. And uh, we were just sitting in the living room, having conversation, reminiscing. <clears throat> and he said, uh, do you remember that time I took you to see Johnny Cash? And, and I said, uh, what, August 15th, 1972, Legion Field, Gate City, Virginia, that time? <laughs> <laughs> For my 15th birthday? Yeah, yeah, I remember that. Uh-huh. And he uh-huh. looked at me with this quizzical look, and he said, well, I didn't have any idea you remembered it that way. I said, that was one of the most important moments in my life, Dad. Uh-huh. <laughs> I had, uh, Johnny Cash did a show in uh, radio in the mid-'80s called Johnny Cash's American Folklore. It was only five minutes long. Mm-hmm. I remember and, that. And every, you know, today I'm going to tell you how the cow catcher got started. And you, 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 he'd tell the story of, of some piece of American folklore. I was on a little radio station in Anderson, Indiana. And I was the guy that was in charge of getting promos from him. And Florence we- uh, Henderson did a show about Wessonality. And, uh, you know, all this other crap. But I wrote Johnny Cash a letter. And on it, I put some some little suggestions for promos. You know, you're listening to WHBU, person-to-person radio, Anderson, Indiana. And he started ad-libbing. And it's one, I still have it. It's one of my prized possessions. The best one is, uh, you're listening to person-to-person radio. How do you like them beans? It's just Johnny Cash. It's just so great. Um, now your uh, your musical background. You just recently started performing again after a, a lapse of, of raising children and, yeah. and doing other things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, let me go back and uh, sort of stitch the two ends of this uh, little little uh, carpet together. Please. Um, you know, I, I discovered uh, like hard rock and, and and grand funk and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath and all that through my high school years. Alice Cooper was a favorite of mine. You know, still is to this day. Uh-huh. I've seen him perform two or three times live. And uh, and uh, <clears throat> but but country music never took a back burner. It just shared the two front burners. You know, mm-hmm. and uh, and over time I've. Uh, I've never played in a rock band. Um, always wanted to. I just felt like I didn't have the voice to sing it or the technical skill on guitar to play it. But uh, well, you do. Tom well, McElvain he, said you are badass, and oh when Tom McElvain God. says you're badass, you're badass. Yeah, well, <laughs> Tom's a nice guy. <laughs> Tom's a nice guy that doesn't like to hurt his friends' feelings. <laughs> oh no, come on. <laughs> but uh, but. Uh, I mean, I open my mouth to sing, and no matter what I'm trying to sing, it sounds like East Tennessee. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, trying to trying to trying to pull off a Zeppelin song sounding like uh, you know a distant relative of Lester Flat just doesn't doesn't work <laughs> unless you're doing it from a novelty standpoint to begin with. You know? Yeah, yeah, but the uh, the uh, the thing with the um, the the, the 19 year layoff actually it wasn't completely totally like bereft of musical performance i got out and did a couple of things you know here Mm -hmm. and there along the way but um 
I played in uh, I played in bands. In fact, the first thing I did when I got out of uh, seminary, when I left seminary after completing my second year, was to go find a country band to get in. Uh-huh. And uh, oddly enough, um, I was working for a sign company, and and I would do shop drawings for the the shop to build these electric illuminated signs, you know, mm-hmm. by and I would create the uh, the graphics that were going to go on it and everything. And and in the course of that job, I would take these things over to a blueprint shop, my drawings over to a blue, blueprint shop who would make blueprints out of them. Sure. And uh, and I got to know the guy that worked there, and he and his brother and his father were in a band that played locally, a country band. And I said, man, I don't want to get in a band. I want to play with somebody. I sing, I play guitar. And, uh, and he was like, we don't, we don't have an opening. It's like we can't take on another member. He said, but... I think I know somebody, and he checked. The next time I went in, he said, "Yeah, I got a friend that's uh, whose guitar player just left and went to join another band, and uh, and he's looking to audition a guitar player." And uh, turns out it was an as of yet undiscovered, unheard of Aaron Tippin. Oh wow! Uh, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. man! Yeah. That's amazing. And, and, and I played, uh, and I went over to uh, one of the band members' house, and we sat around and auditioned, got the gig, you know. And played with him for several months, maybe close to a year. And uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't know him to to see a picture of him back then. Oh yeah, he wasn't the big muscled up, uh-huh. you know, weightlifter looking dude. You know, like uh-huh. like people know him now. Yeah, he was wiry built, wore overalls on stage sometimes. Uh huh. Had hair as long as mine. Oh wow. And uh, and he would uh, he would even like chew tobacco on stage sometimes cool yeah. as you know i'm a big fan of that so <laughs> he was cool and he wrote back then he was writing songs that are better than the songs he wound up releasing on albums for rca uh-huh and i asked him i talked to him not too long ago uh on the phone and uh, i said tip i kept i kept waiting for some of those tunes that you wrote back then to surface on one of your albums and he said well son he said Nashville and me just don't see eye to eye on some of those things. <laughs> and he's as country as naturally, sincerely country boy as they come, man. Mm-hmm. He, he's the genuine article. Oh, yeah. He really is. Yeah. Now he's no longer on a major label. He has his own record label there now. And uh, But anyway, to get on with your original question before I got... No, no, I love the sidetracks. Yeah, yeah. Those are the, the best roads are the dirt ones that you yeah, don't intend uh, to drive down. You know what I'm going to tell you? Since, since since you said that, I'm going to tell you another little story regarding my time in Aaron Tippin's band. It was, okay. called, it was called the Sandy Flat Band. Okay. He was no ego. He didn't want his name plastered up there. And we played little dives and bars and spent weeks, you know, trying to just scare up a beer joint gig. It was uh-huh. that kind of thing back sure. then, you know. But anyway, uh, um, I uh, moved to Nashville actually in 1986 left south carolina greenville south carolina and moved to nashville and uh lived there for about three and a half years and the only thing i ever drummed up was i wound up with a with an acoustic duo gig at the opryland hotel lounge oh that's cool and uh and that was it and uh, at some point uh, an old friend of mine an old boyhood friend of mine had gotten out of the air force moved to garland texas and through staying in touch with him uh he knew my frustrations with Nashville, how back then, and I'm sure it's worse now, you couldn't get a gig in Nashville. I mean, mm-hmm. it was virtually impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the town consists of 
the best yeah. musicians, singers, songwriters from the entire country, and some from outside the country who have all come there to try to make it in the music business. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a it's a venue owner's game. You yeah, know, he can pay get the best, the cream of the crop for peanuts. Sure, and uh, everybody else is just left scratching their asses, going, "Well, mm-hmm. well I think I'll go write another song." Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, and uh, and 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 after. Uh, Expressing this frustration with my friend Jerry, who's, who's since moved back to East Tennessee, um, he said, "You should come down here. Check this out, man. This is 1989." And uh, he said, "Man, it's wide open out here. There are places to play all over the place, and people down here love live music." And so I came down to visit. On, uh, on took a vacation, came down to visit, and uh, stayed with him. We went fishing on Lake Lebon. Okay. And uh, just. Drank tequila and got sick and swore off tequila for the rest of our lives and all those <laughs> normal things. And, yeah. And uh, and I was like, I love this. I'm moving here. And that was in the early spring or late spring, early summer, September 6th of that year, 89. I hopped on a plane and moved down here and uh, went to work immediately uh-huh. playing music. And uh, in fact, my first gig was uh fronting the house band out at Lee Silver Fox in Terrell, Texas. Oh, wow. And uh, did that for about a year. Then uh, a full-time band approached me, who used to be bandmates with the people I was playing with at Lee's, uh-huh. uh, about replacing their front guy who was leaving. And basically what we wound up doing was switching jobs. The front man for the full-time band <laughs> needed to quit playing full-time. He was married and all, all that kind of thing. Gotcha. And uh, and I was itching to get out there and go full time. Right. You know, so we switched jobs. Robert was the guy's name. He took my position at the weekend gig at Lee's. I took his place in the full time band, playing Tulsa City Limits, going to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, you know, all around uh-huh. points all over Texas. We we had a great time. Had a great time. And that's when uh, the little gap in my uh, tenure began, in uh, January of '92. Uh, my oldest daughter was born on January 17th, which is uh, significant for me because she shares a birthday with Steve Earle, one of my favorite oh, artists yeah. of all time. And, uh, and and that was when I made the decision just shortly after that to, to get out of it because I felt that, you know, the decent responsibility to, you know, provide insurance and a stable home, you know, for my kids. And then a couple of years later, my younger daughter was born, so... Yeah, and I, I continue to go out and do a weekend every now and then at, at Lee Silver Fox and go out and visit with some friends. And they'd ask me to get up and sing a couple songs with them. So I kind of kept my chops up like that, but uh, mm-hmm. no commitments to anything during those years. Then a year and a half ago, a little over a year and a half ago, I uh, <clears throat> shored up all the uh, manly strength I, I could muster. <laughs> <laughs> took my guitar and went out to the Last Chance Saloon, which used to be in Plano there on 15th and Avenue K. Oh, yeah. It's oh, yeah. Pizza place now or something. Right. Um, Just down did, from the jam station, that, mm-hmm, that big yeah. building there. Mm-hmm. And it's got all the uh, rehearsal rooms in it. Mm-hmm. Used to be it's, a doctor's office. If you're going up 15th Street, like from 75, you come up through the Brick Street. You mm-hmm. come up to Avenue K and you turn to the right. And it's like that second block. There's a gym in that same building. There are apartments above what used to be the Last Chance Saloon. And, uh-huh. and uh, went in there not knowing a soul. And decided, to look, you're either going to have to get back in there and do this or just wuss out and go home with your tail tucked between your legs. And uh, I almost did that. I almost 
took the ladder. <laughs> oh man, I, I my, my hats off to you. I mean, I'm doing something at, at a, an age when I should be 20 years younger, and mm. you know, people are like, "What are you doing that for?" And you know, mm. but so you know, if you if you love it and you're mm. awesome at it, which I believe you are, um, you. you know, then you should do it. But uh, the, it's interesting. What was your trepidation? Was it that you had been out of it for so long, or yeah. that uh, yeah. you didn't think you could do it going forward? Yeah, um, all of the above. Uh, I, I knew I wanted to do it just for my own pleasure, mm -hmm. you know, for certain. But what I was going to try to make of it was another matter that I hadn't even resolved yet at that time. Mm -hmm. um, I just wanted to get out there and see if I could do it again, you mm -hmm. know. And, and, and the scary part wasn't so much going around people that I didn't know because I'd done that a lot, you know, over the years. The scary part was not having a band around me to provide that little comfort zone you yeah. know you're sitting up there with an acoustic guitar i haven't done this seriously in 19 years and i'm sitting up on a little bandstand in front of a bunch of people i don't know with just me and my acoustic guitar mm -hmm. and it it was like that first time i stepped on a platform at church mm -hmm. you know in front of a microphone with a guitar around my neck and people sitting out there looking at me and it was a uh, horrifying yeah but you get through it you, know, mm -hmm. you remember, you sort of recall, you know, what it takes to get up there and do that. And uh, fortunately, I made a lot of good friends. The The basis for the friendships that I have now stem from, from that place, last well, chance. Well, the, the, that takes me into my next question. Um, the Texas music scene and coming back and doing it for the first time mm -hmm. in, in a long time, seriously, and on a consistent basis. Uh, what was that like in terms of how you integrated into the scene and, and what it's like to be a musician that's wanting to play uh, the kind of music that you play around mm -hmm. the venues that you played in? Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> it, wasn't, it wasn't so much a matter of uh, consciously um, trying to seem myself to that scene. It was just a matter of, for me, it was just a matter of of uh, the music they liked and the music I liked and did was was very similar, if not the same, in mm -hmm. most cases. And for me, it was more a matter of, of making friends, getting to know people, ha having the comfort of acquaintances, you know. And uh, and then the musical things just sort of magically stirred and brewed in the ether themselves. Mm -hmm. It wasn't so much a, a conscious choice as it was just uh, an evolution that stemmed out of friendships. Um, yeah, that's kind of the, the whole thing about the scene. I mean, I, I met you a week ago in person, mm -hmm. and I mean, it was just like instantaneous, we're clicking here. Uh, and, and that's the way it is with everybody in the Texas yeah. music community. I mean, as far as I can tell you, having grown up playing hardcore blues, that is not a welcoming environment. Uh, it is a very, it's good in a way because it's a competitive environment. You, you, you're you right. constantly being challenged by people, but I don't believe it's necessarily in a good way. It's uh, cutting heads and, you know, I, this, I can rip you apart and all this. Mm -hmm. In the Texas music scene, it's, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Let's make some music. This support, I've never seen, I've never been a part of anything that is so... Uh, that the infrastructure of support is so intense and strong. I mean, we're all each other's biggest fans, mm -hmm. basically. Yeah. And we can't wait till uh, moments like uh, last Sunday at the Cowboy Club occur so that we can all, it's the chance we all get to get together again. Uh -huh. You know, it's like Willie's 4th of July picnic. I heard Chris Christofferson say one time that uh, 
that uh, <clears throat> this is the only time I get to see this many of my friends in one place. That never happens. And, uh, and it's like that, you know. It's, Boy, that was, I'm never going to forget last Sunday. Oh, me I mean, it, it, it was just absolutely, I mean, forget it that I hadn't interviewed these people or met or played with some of them. Uh, it was a lineup that was just pure talent from oh, no. start to be finish. Yeah. And then the fact that a guy gets off stage and you sit down and like we were on the back porch there. <laughs> I mean, you know, first of all, Robbie White. Uh, that guy is just fun embodied in a human being well, and everybody else that was out there just talking about philosophies talking about artists talking about anything it was it was a spectacularly good time the songwriting the songwriting uh, forum was was particularly interesting wasn't it oh god the uh, yes the impromptu uh, songwriting um, symposium yeah yeah it was it was amazing absolutely amazing so writing songs uh you mentioned that that when you came back and started actually playing again that spurred you on to write new stuff or to bring out some of your old stuff yeah yeah i actually uh brought out some old stuff that i'd written uh, as much as 20 years ago i have this one one song uh it's called a novel sort of man i know you've been lying you've been deceiving me and i think you should know you put on a real good show, but I ain't buying. Real life drama's got no actors reading lines. And no poets making rhymes. So take a long, long walk. And make up lots of reasons. You can blame it all. Blame it all on me. Clark Gable's not around to give a damn about your heartache. You've built a silver screen around your mind. Episodes of fiction imitate the lives of lovers. And true love in real life is hard to find. So I'm hoping you'll excuse me while I show myself the exit. I've had all your performance I can stand I can take the bitter with the sweet And you love to spoil the ending So why don't you search and find yourself a novel sort of man I wrote that when I was still living in Nashville, mm -hmm. and um, and it's the only thing that I had. I had a briefcase full of just lyrics and stuff uh, that I'd had since way back then, <clears throat> and I carried that thing around. And uh, and uh, once I'd gotten back to playing again, right after the first time at the Last Chance Saloon I described a while ago, I broke out that that briefcase and started looking at some stuff that was in there and. Uh, uh, I had a lot of stuff from back in those days when I lived in, in Nashville, and that was the only song that I had that I felt like had anything to it that still has some value, and uh, everything else was pretty much not. <laughs> mm -hmm. But I kept that I kept that song and uh, started playing it out, and at, at my gigs, it's like a 
crowd favorite. It's sometimes you'll see folks out there breaking in and singing the chorus, you know, with uh-huh. me when, when I go into that. So, so I lucked out and had a good one from back then. But, uh-huh. uh, and I had the, what was pretty much some basic ingredients for a song that I wrote recently. Um, and, uh, but that was all, that was all I kept. Uh-huh. That was it. The rest of it, I just relegated it to the, uh, to the briefcase for another 20, <laughs> 23 years. Maybe, maybe you and Aaron Tippin can get together and record those. <laughs> yeah. Do a joint album. Oh, he yeah. gets some of his old stuff out. You get some of your yeah. old stuff out. One of your songs. Now, you know how much I love the walk and talk and stalk and I get the hell out of here. But, yeah. yeah. But... Um, and you and I talked about that a little bit more. It's a blues song, and you have your feelings about it. I have my feelings about it, which I love it, and you're just very humble about it. There's a song of yours I called... Think it's the worst song I've written. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not just humble about it. I think it's the worst song I've ever written. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on both ends of the scale there. Um, it's a fun tune. As I told uh, Melissa Arnold, if a song has the word blues in it, I probably will like it. <laughs> My old boots are sitting over by the front door And they're looking at me Like they're wanting me to put them on and hit the road My domestic partner found a better offer And she gets to ride for free So I'm thinking I need a new plan before I explode Now her and that little bitty sissy dog They've left new scars And they're the last two bitches that are ever gonna piss on me I got two pairs of jeans and five or six shirts And my CDs are in my car which don't look like much, but she purrs when I stick in my key. I've got them walking, talking, highway stalking blues. I've been sitting at home with my ramble on and a lot out there to lose. This domestic life's been killing me. Lord knows I've paid my dues. I got them walking, talking, highway stalking. Get the hell out of here, blues. I attract airplanes. songwriters get revenge all right now they say the pen is mightier than the sword or something along those lines she won't see me coming she ain't got a clue there's a whole lot more to this long-haired boy than something she's left behind when my songs hit the radio, what's she gonna do? 
I'm gonna tell the world about all her lovers. I'm gonna spill her beans. The radio <laughs> waves are gonna blow her cover. She'll know what payback means. I'll give her them walking, talking, highway stalking blues. I've been sitting at home with my ramble on, and a lot I bear to lose. This domestic life's been killing me, and Lord knows I've paid my dues. I got them walking, talking, highway stalking. Get the hell out of here, blues. Well, I've got them walking, talking, highway stalking. Get the hell out of here. Get the hell out of here. Blues. Um, you know, the song that just absolutely blows me away of yours is, uh, Kerouac on the run. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that song and how it was inspired and yeah, 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 it's, it was inspired by a person. There really is that girl that had the purple scarves and the long, dark hair. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she's the kind that would trip on the curb, you know, trying to step up onto the sidewalk. And, uh, <laughs> it's the kind of clumsiness that's endearingly cute you know it's just yeah yeah and uh and um i was just uh oddly enough i was so much centers around facebook nowadays you know right we we all promote ourselves and each other and events you know on facebook because there's a big audience for it out there right it's a real common place everybody can look and see what's going on so you know it makes sense and uh and i was just uh home late one night and uh I'd been out either playing or listening to somebody play or something. And I came home and turned on the computer just to see what was going on, you know. Uh, And I wasn't in the mood to really sit and look at other people's posts or anything. I just wanted to post something. I just felt like I had to get something out of my system, you know. It happens that way with me sometimes. It's not intended even to be a song at first, but then it turns into one. Uh And, uh, And the first words that I sat down and I just started keying in. Um, she talked a lot about Rasputin, Jesus, and Towns Van Zandt, mm-hmm. which is so typical of the conversations that this girl and I would have and still have mm-hmm. to this day. And, uh, uh, and how Dylan and Parsons had written her life and how she was their biggest fan. And that was, those were the first words I ever typed, and I hammered them out on the computer that night on Facebook just in that fashion, just thinking I would blurb a little something out there and just turn it off and go to bed, you know, uh-huh. but, but then it turned into the end of the song, you know, so. Well, it's an amazing song. And of course, I know you're a big fan of Rasputin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of the few people you probably know that have a Rasputin biography at home. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about that quite a bit, too. I mean, you know, if, if nobody is listening, knows about Rasputin, look him up. But if you do know about Rasputin, I doubt that, you know, all the things that were done to that man in an attempt to kill him, which which failed. Uh, yeah, he seemed to be immortal. He seemed to be inhuman there for a for a little spell. Yeah, 
And he was a mystic. That's the thing that's, that fascinates me about him. Uh, he was this completely holy guy. I mm-hmm. mean, the czar and his wife, I don't know how so much the czar, I think the czar put up with him simply because his wife was so enraptured by him, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, he allegedly healed their son of some just n- nearly fatal sickness. And uh, so she was... Uh, Became one of his groupies, you know, along with all the other women around there, and uh, and he was this holy man. That's mm-hmm. rock star holy man yeah. thing that just intrigues me. You know, <laughs> I want to dig into that and find out what what it was that guy had that, uh-huh. that gave him that power and ability to sway people. You know, oh man, I I just love it. They they shot him, they stabbed him, they did all this stuff. They they threw him in a frozen river, and but, then he. He crawls out of it. Yeah. Well, they tried to poison him, too. Yeah. Oh, for, for weeks, yeah, and he just yeah. kept drinking the poison. Yeah, and coming back. Yeah, yeah. You just mentioned that sometimes the songs come to you sort of in a, a non-song way. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you a person of process, or is it just however it happens, it happens? However it happens, happens. I've written songs in so many different ways, and they've come to me in so many different ways that... Um, I could never say there's a formula for writing. Mm-hmm. Never in a million years for me. Uh, that might be a different. I mean, it's and, and it's all legit as long mm-hmm. as a song comes out of it. You know, sure. whatever the process is is legit. Right. But uh, I've written choruses first, like I told you on the uh, the Kerouac on the Run. Yeah. Um, I've written uh, I've written what turned out to be the third verse first. Uh-huh. You know, I've started out with a chord progression, a guitar riff, and it began there. Right. Uh, yeah, and I think that's probably the case with most of these guys. I don't think any of them is as renegade and independent as, as all of them are. I, I can't see any of them writing strictly by some sort of system textbook format template. Right. You know, I, I don't think any of these guys do that. I think they all get them different ways like that. Yeah, yeah. Now, you talked about... Um, well, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Well, no, I'll go to right now. Mysticism. The Jeff Hobson t-shirt <laughs> has a mys- mystical quality to it. Can you talk about the Shroud of Hobson t-shirts? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. That's, uh, that thing like has taken on a legend of its own now. Um, Melissa Arnold took that photograph, actually, at Mudflaps sometime back earlier in the year, back in the spring, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, I was doing a, a three-man, three-way song swap with uh, with Scotty Thurman and Robbie White, and we were all wow. out there on stage. And, and that was one of the photographs that she took that night, uh-huh. of, of the many that she took. Right. And uh, and that was the one we wound up choosing to put on the T-shirt. Uh-huh. Which it's a, it's a full-color photograph, you know, meticulous photography like Melissa does. Brilliant, yeah. And... Uh, and uh, Brad King actually printed the T-shirts up. He's done T-shirts for everybody around mm-hmm. here. Did, did all the Robbie White and the Teos Gringo stuff and Jason Elmore and all kinds of other people, too. But when that thing translated to a one-color white ink print on a black shirt, everybody kept saying, you look like Jesus. You know, it looks like... And then I think it was Mark Allen Atwood was the first guy... <laughs> to apply the term shroud the shroud it was robbie's 
wife, Danielle, uh-huh. she'd posted a picture on Facebook of, of herself wearing the shirt. Uh-huh. And, and Mark Allen Atwood said, it's the shroud of Van Alstine. <laughs> and, uh, and it kind of like grew from there, you know, the Jesus... You look like Jesus, man. You look like you're dead. Uh-huh. It looks like the Shroud of Turin. And, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the. Well, I'll that's tell you the story behind that. It's it's an awesome shirt, and uh, well, Brad did a great job with it. He's he's a really really good at that screen print thing he does. All the guys in that band seem to have multiple talents. You know, oh, yeah. uh, Kyle did, does the you know artwork and mm. everything else, and. Uh, yeah, I, I'm still trying to develop one talent, but um, one thing I noticed about that... that I heard you ripping on that harmonica before yeah, we started. Don't well, give me that. Yeah, I don't well, want to hear it. Uh, my talent on the harmonica is not is not playing it. Uh, people will pay me to not play. But, um, you know, at that show, Brian Burns got everybody up to do Don't It Make You Want to Dance. Mm-hmm. And I swear, uh, boy... When you started letting loose on that chorus, it was it was amazing. It was because he had everybody join in and all right, this this right. was like rock star lineup of country artists yeah, if there yeah. is such a thing. And dude, um, what do you attribute that to? I mean, because your your voice is uh, very versatile. It's it's very uh, soulful. Uh, but then you got in there and started singing harmony and back up with those guys, and it was just. Man, it was it was incredible. My background's gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I grew up learning to sing harmony because I loved that old Southern style quartet harmony music. Mm-hmm. I grew up on it. Right. And uh, and when I got into playing gospel music when I was about twenty one, it was like that. It was that kind of group, mm-hmm. that old Southern gospel quartet style harmony. And so I've always done it. You know, I've done mm-hmm. it since then. And uh, harmony, I, I enjoy singing harmony. As much, if not more, than I enjoy singing lead. I I would rather sing harmony with somebody else. I enjoy that more. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, what's in the future for you? Do you have plans to do an album? Are you in, have one in the works? Or just began the process on October. I think it was October second or the first, whatever Monday was. Uh, <laughs> it was the first Monday in October. It was the first of the second. Uh-huh. I went to uh, I went to um, Bart Rose at Fort Worth Sound, and. Uh, Spent eight hours in there with him, just laying down some scratch tracks, which is basically your acoustic guitar and vocal done to a click track, uh-huh. and, uh, which is an ass beating. Yeah, uh, yeah. Bart had a real nice punchier click track though, and it sounded more <laughs> like a drum, and it was far easier to sing with than just that little metronome. Yeah, TikTok I could put one on this show right now, but I won't because I hate him too. Mm-hmm. Is it is uh the album sort of uh, rootsy is it is it going to be super instrumented or will it be kind of like a more intimate i've been i've been uh, spending a lot of time thinking about how the production of this thing is going to is going to be and uh, with everything that i've got to go on it and it's going to be 10 or 11 songs i think when it's all said and done <clears throat> i think it's going to be pretty rootsy it's going to it's not going to be lush and lavish with, with all kinds of uh, you know crazy Nashville and, sound and it's not going to be anything anything <laughs> like that if, if you can think of a Buddy Miller record or maybe a, an early era Ray Wiley Hubbard record I'm, I'm hearing something like that in it cool my songs are, are folky um, uh, they're earthy yeah very earthy songs yeah and, and it's going to lot, lots of acoustic stringed instruments uh, I'd like to have some piano on, 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 a, on a couple of tracks and um uh, and there's going to be some room for some good 
blistering Mark Lafon Telecasters. Oh, and, you know, baby, yeah. And uh, you know, so it's 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 not going to be boring. It's not going to be just a bleak, flat landscape. There's going to be some texture to it. Uh huh. But when it's all said and done, it's going to be an Americana album. That's cool. Yeah. Now, Mark Lafon, you mentioned, and we talked about Kyle. Um, <laughs> can you talk to me a little bit about the? And I've only heard about this in Legend and Lore. The Sling Blade Fests that go on at Denny's in Plano. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> I reckon you was wanting me to tell you about that. <laughs> you know, I reckon I'll tell you. <laughs> oh, we, we, we love that movie. We That movie is like uh, one of the great, greatest cinematic moments in cinematic history, <laughs> as far as we're concerned. Right, anyway, right. You know? and, uh, and I think that movie appealed to a lot of people who are uh, from the South, the rural South especially. Uh-huh. You know, we all know somebody like that. We all, we've heard those weird little sayings, you yeah. know, that Carl would say in the movie. And it just touched a lot, a lot of people, you know. And, and uh, <clears throat> so after the gigs, <laughs> after the gigs, we'd, we'd go out to Denny's or IHOP or wherever, you know. Usually it's Denny's most of the time. Um, and all of a sudden... Carl Childers takes over. You know. uh, we're looking at the menu, considering it in the Carl voice, you know, which which ultimately leads to somebody responding with another line from the script, you know, uh, and, uh, and and then it snowballs from there. And pretty soon, you know, between between the three of us, we're uh, we're reciting the entire movie. And I'll I'll give Mark Lafon credit for this. He knows more lines from that. Uh, from that script than any of us he can't he, he doesn't just know the carl parts he knows everybody else's parts too he knows the little kid's part he knows dwight yoakam's part you know it's it's amazing mark is yeah. is such an unassuming guy and he looks like you know he's gonna sell you uh mutual insurance or something i mean he just looks like your regular joe and then he picks up what i call the baby blue flamethrower mm-hmm. and just destroys places um can you talk a little bit about uh, the big show going on on the 27th of October, The Witch Like Me? Yeah. Uh, with, yeah. Uh, with Aubrey uh, Lynn. Aub- Aubrey Lynn England. That's going to be a great, great thing. That's, that's going to be another one of those nights uh, that you're going to put in, in, in your memory in that category of the Cowboy Club the other week. Yeah. Maybe there won't be as many. I mean, the number of guys. That were out there to play at the Cowboy Club was just ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, it was twenty guys or so. Talent after talent. Yeah, there's not going to be quite that many at, at this one, but there are going to be some great, great bands there, and the uh, and the, the 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 cause is is awesome. Uh, and I'm on board with this completely, and have uh-huh. been for years. I'm an organ donor, and, mm-hmm. and that's what the uh, that's what the proceeds are going to benefit the uh, Donate Life Texas mm-hmm. uh, cause, uh, which is a drive to persuade people uh of the value of being an organ donor right uh, well um do you uh have plans to dress up in a costume i've been considering that and um you gonna if i could pull off the hair i might go as carl children my favorite thing of his is he aims to do i aim to kill you Uh, you know it's it's like the texas is i'm fixing Mm -hmm. to do something and and i had an uncle oddly enough i had an uncle that that his posture and the way he wore his pants (laughs) the high-waisted pulled up over his belly like Uh i had an uncle that 
looked like that. Uh-huh. Like, you know, that's crazy. The guy's dead now, and he was one of my favorite uncles. I was named after him, actually. But the, he, his his posture and the way he wore his clothing <laughs> and, and those phrases, those yeah. terms, yeah. it's purely Southeast. Uh-huh. I know Billy Bob's from, from Arkansas. Right. Billy Bob Thornton's from Arkansas. And the culture there is very, very much like it is in East Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And uh, they speak the same right. in everything. And uh, a lot of those phrases, you know, translated from just across the southeast like that. And uh, back home, like you hear that a lot, I aim to do this. Uh I aim to, well, my aim's not to, you know, aim, it's fixing here. Well, it's aim back there. I think Indiana, where I'm from, has one that I've never heard a lot anywhere else, and it's, uh, I like to never. Well, I like to never got that out of the garage. And I, I don't know really what it means other than it was hard to do. I, I like to have never. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a real big <laughs> contraction for that phrase. You know? <laughs> it, should, it probably has two or three commas in it yeah. or, or, or apostrophes. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you're also uh, quite a journalist. I have to tell you, uh, your uh, reviews on uh, outlawmagazine.tv are just absolutely spectacular. They're very uh, oh, well-reasoned, they're insightful, but the research, I mean, you've obviously sat down. I mean, I know having done this, you didn't you know, come by that on Wikipedia. <laughs> you, you get into the subject. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, Tom McElvain and I sat and had uh, one, one night, we sat on Kyle Smith's back porch till about 3 o'clock in the morning just talking, mm-hmm. you know. Me just trying to get in his head and asking him about matters pertaining to his to his past and his personal life and uh, and he um, and uh, one thing I, I needed to know from him was how much of this will you be okay with me putting in the article and mm-hmm. he said all of it mm-hmm. he was very open he said I don't want anything to be bullshit. Can I say that on your show? Usually, on my show, you can. You bet your ass you can. He said, I don't want anything to be bullshit. I want this to be open and real. And I said, okay. And I, and I, would, and I made two or three other phone calls, actually three or four other phone calls to him, uh, just to get further information, clarification on things, you know. Sure. <clears throat> details, dates, people's names, that, that sort of thing. Stuff I just make up normally. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think uh, I think the most beautiful part of that conversation I had with Tom was his relationship with his grandmother Lucille. Mm-hmm. She was she was the the art minded lady. If you remember in the article, sure. She she took him to plays mm-hmm. to, to theater. Yeah, they 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 uh, sat and listened to. Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin records in her home, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know to, it was, that was just to me. That's the most uh, touching part of Tom's story mm-hmm. is that relationship with his grandmother, and uh, and it was an, it was an, an easy thing to write, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, Dave Pilot's going to hear that, and he's going to say, "Yeah, yeah, right, Hobson. How long did it take you to get it to me?" <laughs> and uh, and uh, I would send him a draft over. Uh. And he'd send it back going, you know, this, this, and this is kind of all right, but this is, you know. So I'd revise it. Uh-huh. And I'd send it back to him. He'd be like, well, you're starting to get there. Uh-huh. And I'd be like, shit. Ah. <laughs> but, you know, Dave's a master. Yeah, he really Dave's is. He's pilot is a master journalist. Uh, he's Rolling Stone level. Oh, absolutely. You know. And one of the things that, <laughs> one of the things that really cracks me up about the guy uh is he 
He can write you a bad review and make you appreciate it, <laughs> make you like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's something about the, the name <laughs> Lucille, because, you know, you mentioned uh, Tom McElveen's grandmother. You have the guitar of Buddy Guy. His, yeah. his name, Lucille. Yeah. And then there's that great uh, Cool Hand Luke reference where he keeps, uh, George Kennedy keeps calling the girl that's washing the car Lucille. And somebody says, how do you know that her name's Lucille? Anything that beautiful has got to be named Lucille. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a magical, magical name. Um, you, you wonder where the uh, attachment to that name began. Like, wh- wh- what does it all go back to? It's like, uh, you know, the, the Greek goddess that, that got, you know, all her <laughs> stuff got burned up in Pompeii. So nobody knows about it today. It was right. named Lucille or something. But it's, yeah. it's a magical name it totally, um, is. It what, totally is what's what's up yeah, ahead and, and for, all the songs that make reference to lucy yeah yeah waylon jennings had one of course kenny rogers had that one uh, yeah and, yeah and, and, and there are others too you know sure Lucille, it's just a yeah it's something about it i don't know what it is if i yeah. ever have a daughter um i was gonna name her adara because it's a star trek name uh, but I think Lucille is, is going to be a better one. Uh, mm-hmm. What is it'll, it'll bring her good fortune. Th- that or a really good guitar. Um, what is next for Jeff Hobson? What what do you see yourself doing? Do you do you have a plan? Are you just going to kind of as you said, let it just evolve as it evolves, or what's mm-hmm. up? That's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't have any illusions of grandeur. I'm 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 in my I'm in my mid fifties. I turned fifty five years old back in August. And uh, I don't have any illusions or delusions, as the case may be, mm-hmm. uh, about being on a bus traveling all over the country, you know, going to Ireland and Germany to play. Uh, yeah. It's, you know, I, it's, it's, for me, it's the satisfaction of spending the rest of my capable life, the years in which I'm able to do this, just doing it to the best of my ability and exploring all the possibilities that I fantasized about up through my younger years Mm -hmm. and uh, when I started back doing this I said my aim is to do nothing I aim to (laughs) (laughs) I aim to just do this regionally locally and and just take it as far in that regard as I can Uh, this area is a proven ground for a lot of people right and I'm using it as that too and uh, and and that's that's what I want to do I and if something good and better and bigger than that comes of it, then of course I'll be uh, I'll be a real happy guy, you know. Uh-huh. But all I want to do right now is just put out a good solid record, write good solid songs, and uh, try to put them in the hands of as many people uh, in this region as I can, and uh, see what they think about it. Right. You know, that's that's kind of it. Well, I'll tell you, uh, I have enjoyed immeasurably getting to know you. Uh, you are respected and beloved in the texas music community uh you are a badass tom McElvain said you're a badass that means you're a badass my I, my dad told me one time if the guy at the um convenience store says you're a bad mother you're a bad mother um and so uh i i i really look forward to what you're doing next i strongly encourage everybody to go out and see jeff hobson live if you possibly can, um, I'm I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing what you do and where it takes you. And I love your your outlook, which is, hey, I'm doing what I'm doing, uh, and I want to do it as well as I can. And anything that happens as a byproduct of that, 
Icing on the Can't cake. Can't be bad. Yeah. 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 And if nothing else... You support people, too. I want to interject this right here. Okay. Uh, respect breeds respect. Mm-hmm. Love breeds love. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a it's a co-op thing you know I, yeah. I, I love my friends I, I respect them I support them and they in kind return that 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 same thing to me mm-hmm. and that's how we've built these relationships you know right. We, right. we we love each other we support each other you know we're there for each other and sure each other's biggest fans yeah. like I said earlier yeah that's a that's a great way to put it and I want to see you uh, you know perform regionally and as is far as you can as many places as you can because i think there's a lot of denny's out there that need <laughs> the sling blade story to unfold and, and yeah, you know, the waitresses yeah. work hard and they need a little entertainment yeah. oh and believe me they are entertained they are entertained <laughs> one night one night we had like people at other tables just completely <laughs> amused by us you know they're sitting over there laughing themselves when one night kyle wade smith this was with ihop mm-hmm. uh Kyle you branched Smith. out a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're trying to, you know, <laughs> elevate our consciousness and, and uh, expand our horizons. Kyle Wade Smith breaks out, and you got to understand: in these situations, we're all probably a little, you know, inebriated, tipsy. Yeah, tipsy, overserved, yes. maybe yes. almost overserved. Yes. And uh, Kyle Wade Smith breaks out his harmonicas and starts playing uh-huh. in IHOP one night. And there's a cop, two cops sitting over here at this table over from us. <laughs> and they're just sitting over there laughing, shaking their heads, enjoying it. And we start singing. Me and one or two others started singing, broke out into some harmony thing. And Kyle's mm-hmm. blowing harp. And everybody's just, it's like they, it's the after show. <laughs> you know, and that's the great part about if you're at a Denny's and you don't have the harps and you're not singing is... Here's three guys. Everybody thinks there's just are just a bunch of cut ups, yeah. and they happen to be three of the best musicians in Texas. <laughs> That's so awesome. That's uh, well. When you're speaking of Mark Lafon and Kyle Wade Smith, you are talking about two of the finest that this area has to offer, without you. doubt. And they're two of my best friends, and uh, I think the world of both those boys. Mark Lafon can play the guitar behind his back. Mm-hmm. better than most guitarists can play it in front of themselves. Uh, I, I, I can't say enough great things about Mark. But, yeah, they're uh, good boys. They're good boys. Well, uh, it's going to be a great show on the 27th uh, out at Hank's, which I've played many yes, times. Sir. It's, it's, yes, it's um, planning on doing a show about the injustice that's being done to that particular venue right now. Do that up. Do yeah, that up. Oh, I'm. Yeah. I will be evil about it. Yeah. it. It will not be pleasant for for those people standing in the way of Hanks. But and this is uh, going to be the first time I've ever played at Hanks, too. Oh, really? Yeah, very first time I will have been on stage at that place. Oh well, so I'm uh, looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it as well. Uh, again, it's been a pleasure hanging with you, and I am a tremendous fan of your work. And thank you, brother. And uh, and I of yours. Well, this isn't work. This is something else i don't know i haven't come up with a name a name for it yet but if, if i get to sit and talk to people like you it's not work it's really not work but uh what's the best way for people to keep track of you and interact with you and uh find out what you're doing um well there are two or three ways um facebook is an enormous one uh a friend of mine and and uh good good friend of mine marvin hillis has a has a thing uh that he posts under as Hungover Sunday, which is a promotions uh, entity, pretty gotcha. much. Gotcha. And he posts, uh, he and Lynn both post what they call the daily aspirin every, every day. 
and it's and it's a list of people who are playing and where. Uh, and then another good one is uh, Mary Jane Farmer's Scene in Town. Okay. Who sponsored the stage at the Grayson County Fair this weekend, and uh, at which I played. I got to do a set of acoustic music at the Grayson County Fair yesterday from I was I don't know two o'clock to two forty-five something like that. Awesome. Had a great time. Good fun. And uh, Scene in Town is an online magazine type mm-hmm. thing, which uh, pretty much documents the uh, uh, the local scene, the regional scene, the Texoma scene, as, Ma- as right. Mary calls it. And uh, there's a live calendar, and it's updated daily and uh, by the day. That's cool. And uh, you can go down through there and uh, keep up with everybody that uh, if it's known that they have a gig, it's going to get posted on there. And, uh, well, Jeff Hobson's uh, Facebook page is just—it's—it's it's a pleasure. It's—it's—it's it's, it's a lot of fun. You'll—you'll—you'll you'll, uh, you'll enjoy it from that standpoint. But certainly, uh, check him out, friend Jeff Hobson on Facebook. And uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being here in the Palatial Studios. Yeah, the, the uh, dancing girls and, uh, and the Egyptian paintings and yeah. Yeah, it's—it uh, it was a pleasure to do it, man. Thank you so much for having me out here, brother. Thank you. Hi, I'm Jim Harbaugh, the Indianapolis Colts. And I recommend that you wear a helmet while listening to the show. like to thank Jeff Hobson, uh, Carl Childers, Alice Cooper, Johnny Cash, uh, oh, and the late Doyle Hargraves, and the staff at Denny's. Folks, we'd really appreciate it if you'd share this on your various Facebook pages. Trying to spread the word means trying to spread our little show here. We'd appreciate it if you'd like the Tom Gully Show, not me, but the show. On Facebook, too, if the mood strikes you. And, of course, there's always the TomGullyShow.com. That's where you can find everything about the show. There's a Tom Gully Show store and lots of great stuff there. I sold a shower curtain to a drunk woman last night. I didn't, I wasn't trying to. In fact, I was trying to talk her down. But she saw it because she wanted to see the show. And I opened it up at this dumb after party I went to and she had to have it. And I'm like, it's $50. I'm deliberately priced it so that only an idiot would buy it. That she bought one. At any rate, uh, there's other good stuff like cheap t-shirts that are cool and, and really good stuff. But you'll, you'll be able to see the stuff that I put on there as a ha-ha. Kind of. Who pays $50 for this lady? You should have seen this house. Anyway, uh... And we always encourage you to subscribe on iTunes for free. Because if it's free, of course it's for me. Follow us on Twitter at Atomic Palooka as well, so I can increase my clout and cred rating ratings. Excuse me. If I get enough points, we're all gonna go to the aces. Uh, Reg Dunlop is going with us too. That'll do it for tonight. I'm out of here. I gotta go talk to some people. I'll talk to you much later each night. Jay Johnson brings us in with the truth wagon. Go to jjohnsonmusic.com, buy everything that's there. And uh, and also by Jeff Hobson's CD, Heretic. It is a bargain at any price. Go to CD, baby. 
And each night we take you out with Catch-22 Blues by the Hitman Blues Band, uh, hitmanbluesband.net, hitmanbluesband.com. If you go to the .net, you can get nine free blues songs by signing up for the mailing list, and they're in England right now. They're not at the Eel Pie Club anymore. They're in London. And Arsenal beat uh, Sunderland today to zip. So we will see you next time. Well, the bug can't lift a twig for a dog that's nothing big, but he don't want to. And the dog can't grab a cat, a raccoon can do all that, but he don't want to. And I dream of you at night while you hold your baby tight, but he don't want you. You can see it in his eyes from the way he tells you lies, he don't want you.